you want to learn about multifamily investing, but you just don't know where to start, you think you're too new, you think it's too overwhelming, well, I have the event for you. It's called Multifamily Live, and it's happening this June 10th, 11th, and 12th, a three-day event. And best of all, guys, it's virtual. You don't have to worry about, can I shake hands? Do I have to get on a plane? What's it mean? Am I afraid of COVID? None of that stuff. It's virtual. You can do it from your home. It's a three-day event, and this event is really about teaching you how to invest in multifamily real estate. They want you to know how to achieve the, quote, quit your job passive income, right, by investing in large multifamily properties. Even if you're a new investor or if you're an experienced investor and you want to get into multifamily, this is the event you cannot miss. Guys, go and get your tickets now before they're gone. It's June 11th, I'm sorry, June 10th, 11th, and 12th this coming June. It's going to be amazing. I know the folks putting this on. I have talked to all of them. I know about their businesses. These are the smartest multifamily people in the nation. You must go get your tickets if you're interested in multifamily live before before the ticket prices go up. As it gets closer to the event, it's going to go up. Here's how you get them. Go to bestrealestateevent.com. That's bestrealestateevent.com. Go check it out. Even if you're not sure, just go to the site. Check it out. See if it looks like it's for you and grab your tickets now. All right, guys, let's get on to it. Yeah. And I found it, Mike. I found it the hard way by failing. The magic formula was, man, just connect with people. You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, guys. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for being here. I appreciate it. I love having you here. And uh, you're the reason I do it. So thanks for showing up. Guys, if you're enjoying what I'm putting out there for you and you have time, go and give me a rating review. I'd really appreciate it. I would love the feedback. And of course, the ratings and reviews are exactly what helps me get found and it makes me able to reach more people. So if you could do that, I would be forever in your debt. We have a good one today, guys. A lot of fun. Uh, I try to always have fun with my guests and, and really enjoy my time speaking to incredible people. But there are certain people that just I end up clicking with and they're just we get along really well. And, and this is one of those times where uh, it's just somebody that I, I really like talking to is just a lot of fun. I would talk to him uh, casually, personally, out, out and about. I would love to hang out with the guy. He's a fun guy. His name is Bill Woodich. And uh, he's one of those guys that have a great backstory. He he kind of had this dead-end job and, and, and this future that wasn't what he wanted it to be. And he created something better for himself. And his always forward mindset is what he used to get himself out of the impoverished, backwoods, western Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania to create a multi-million dollar company that he continues to run to this very day. He's a professional speaker and uses his experience to inspire individuals to pursue personal development, professional success. He is the author of Always Forward and Fail More, a Wall Street Journal bestseller. He uses his books and his keynotes to help people shorten the distance between where you are now and where you are determined to go in the future. And he does such a great job at it. He really has a great message. And I am excited for you guys to hear this one. So without any further ado, I give you Bill Woodich. Hey, Bill, thank you for being here. Thanks for doing this. And welcome to Just Start Real Estate. I appreciate you doing this. 
Hey, Mike, it's my honor and pleasure to be on your show. Yeah, absolutely. So I was on your show a few weeks back. We had a lot of fun. You know, it's funny. I, I go on a lot of shows. And uh, every once in a while, I'll go on somebody's show where I go, you know what? I I, I really kind of vibe with that guy. Like, I, I get him. And I think he gets me. And we, we kind of look at things similarly. And it always makes me excited when that happens. And I know they're going to be on my show because I know it's going to be a really, really good show. And I've already got a report. I feel like we're comfortable together. So I can't wait to dive into this. But for the folks who haven't gotten to know you yet in my audience, can you give us a little bit of background on who you are, what you do? Not necessarily, I mean, now we'll talk about what you do now, but let's get some backstory a little bit so people can kind of understand where you come from. And I know you have a cool story, a backstory. So I, I really want to dig into that. I'll try not to suck all the air out of the uh, out of the room in the first <laughs> and try to go from 30,000 feet down to 10. Okay. You know, speaking of back, I grew up in the backwoods of Western Pennsylvania, small town, about 3,500 people. That was in the summertime. Wintertime, everybody left. There's about 1,500. Only only, <laughs> only the tough ones, right? That's the inveterate right. souls that would press on forward through the snow. And oh, I was yeah. one of them. So, you know what, Mike, it, it was, I was always a rebel. I was a rebel without a clue. And uh, if you tell me to go left, I'm going to go right. I did not like authority. My father was ironically a Pennsylvania state policeman and we had to march to a certain drum all the time. Yeah. I hated the most important thing we have to do to make success real. You know what that is? This work. Yeah. I hated it. I didn't want to, every week we had to cut the lawn, whether we liked it or not. Every week we'd have to look for stones, do these different things, go to work and, and do everything during the summer where other kids were having fun. So that rebel nature landed my butt in a factory. And it was, I call it my foreclosed future because when my friends went off to school or they went to different places, I stayed back home, drank beer, smoked cigarettes and worked in a factory. That existence scared the blank out of me. I don't know if it's PG or not, but it scared the yeah, blank out of me. I'll put a tag It on. scared me. It, it's, <laughs> it, you know, and I think we all need a little fear in our lives to be able to move forward. Well, I had a big yeah. dose of fear doing the same things for eight hours a day with no future in front of me. Yeah. Well, I got a break. And I think we all need our, our allies. You know, we all need our advocates. We talked about this when you were on my show. Yep. And mine came in the form of, of my parents who said, look, we'll give you one more chance. We're going to send you off to school. You got to get loans and you'll be paying those loans for most of your life. But we're, we're going to send you off to school. And if you F up, you're done. You're coming back here. So I went to school, um, made my breaks from there, learned how to study, learned how to learn, especially connected with people. And landed my first job in an industry that I detested, sales, in a sub-industry, insurance, that was anathema <laughs> to me, right? Yeah. But they said, no, 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 son, it's corporate insurance. You're going to do okay. And that's how I started, Mike. In the insurance business, corporate insurance, it came out of the backwoods of Pennsylvania. I made my way to California by learning how to embrace, enroll, and sell people. Okay. on Not so much sell, but embrace and enroll people on concepts that then became their reality. Yeah. So that's really a kind of a 30,000 foot background. All right. So you went to college. Did you, I didn't catch, did you graduate from college? Did you finish? I went to Purdue undergrad okay. and then I went to Penn State for my master's. Oh, so oh. I, I, I always say that, you know what? And I worked at a place that's now closed at Penn State that was around for like 80 years. And I always say that if I could do it again, I'd probably stay and get my PhD, make about 40 grand a year and be happy. Right? <laughs> Never get out of school. Like yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, you know? That's right. So, that's right. So let me ask you um, now at, at where you are now in life and what you know, do you think college is important? It is in the right, for the right industry. And, and this was a tough mind shift for me because I was a big, I was a huge believer in college experience because yep. it worked yep. for me. Yep. And I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a doctor, an engineer, obviously, but I think for the sciences and for the engineers, yes. For what I did for liberal, liberal arts, no. 
Yeah. I, I really don't. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, Warren Buffett would say, hey, you know, learn a little bit of math, just enough to get by with, you know, learn a little bit of accounting, read, get a little philosophy under your belt, get a little psychology or maybe a lot. You're going to use that. You can get that in two years and you don't need that. Yeah. Just get out and start working. So I, I really turned around on that. Yeah. I'm kind of the same. I think, uh, I guess it, you're right for the sciences. If you know, I, I want my doctor to have gone through medical school, <laughs> you know, um, and I want the engineer that builds the bridges and the houses around me to have gone to, to had a formal education. However, and there's some people who are not cut out to like blaze their own path. They, they are built to work in a, in a system, in the confines of a system. They're built for that. And maybe for them, it's, it's good, but it's not for everybody. I, I just don't think when I was growing up and maybe it was the same for you, it sounds like it was, there was no discussion. It was like, my parents said, you're going to go to college. Like, that's what you do. Otherwise, you're a loser, right? Yep. High school education is not enough. And and I just don't think that's the case anymore for, our, for a lot of folks. It's just not the case. You're right about, it was an expected rite of passage. Mm -hmm. And today, Mike, um, about 10 years ago, I started breaking away from my old way of thinking and started hiring kids that were right out of high school that didn't have any college experience. And they just, it blew my mind because they were so hungry. They learned yeah, along the yeah. way and they became some of the most successful people that I've been able to coach and mentor. So uh, it, it really completely broke the mindset, the mold that you're right. It was a, a past expectation. It doesn't have to be a, a, a future way. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I, because I do, uh, I do, probably just short of actual like legal stalking of my guests. I have watched some stuff that you've put out there. I've, I've been to your YouTube channel. I've been, I've been searching you. I know that the career that you went into the, the corporate insurance sales, um, you didn't feel like you were being authentic. You didn't feel like you were allowed to create rapport. Tell me what you learned there. And I think there's, there's a value in learning sometimes not what you want to be and not doing things right because it teaches you what not to do. What did you learn there, both maybe good and bad, that, that has served you going forward? I'll tell you what, you, you gave us a theme for, for your show, and that's really expectations. Because people expect to be sold in a certain way. They expect that you're, they're going to have to give up something, mostly money, yeah. time, not, not be able to get that back. And there was an asymmetrical advantage in information that came usually... And it was really to the advantage of the person who was the, the the seller, not the person that was trying to, you know, just get through buy a product they had to have or something that was a, maybe an option for them. And so I learned that people expected a certain approach and the schools and the training courses from the big companies. And I was in one of those Fortune 500 companies was all geared around what you do, how you pivot like a marionette, like a puppet on a string when there is an open probe. What about, what do you do to close? When do you do this close? What do you do on these, on these calls? And, and I, I couldn't function that way. It was really hard. And I was over 13 on my sales, trying to do the formula, the magic formula, and it didn't work. Yeah. And I found it, Mike, I found it the hard way by failing. The magic formula was, man, just connect with people. You're not going to win every heart. You're not going to influence every mind. Why don't you just meet them as people? Don't try to sell them and roll them. Yeah. Give, give them information. Now the symmetry because of the internet, man, you know, it, it's, you better separate yourself quick and it can't just because, be because you have arcane information. Yeah, 100%. I think that that old school way of doing it, you know, there's some value to it. I guess you can take people who aren't great put them into a formula and, and get something out of them. But people who are born to communicate, born to connect, born to have that really dynamic interaction with people, you put them in that box and it's like, you're just, you're taking away. It's like Superman with kryptonite. You're just, we're weakening them. You're not strengthening them. hundred percent. That's a great analogy because 
and I'm looking at something in your office that's going to keep, I'm going to keep going back to this in a minute, but I think that we are off script and I think we write kind of outside the lines and we kind of enjoy doing things outside the line. I'm bringing you into my craziness now. And you have to be that way to be a Dallas Cowboy fan. So I have to, <laughs> I'm looking at that helmet and that is my, that's my kryptonite. So I just want to call it out for you. So yeah. thanks. No, I was wondering when that was going to come up. Uh, you know, we're, we're friendly despite the fact that you're a Pittsburgh fan and I'm a, I'm a diehard Cowboys fan. Uh, I'll, I'll, really all you can do when it comes to like, deciding which team is better is just talk about the last time they were in the Super Bowl together. And that's really how you know the better team. And it, and clearly the Cowboys are better because we beat you in the last Super Bowl we faced each other. And why did I open the door? With this? <laughs> I should... I should I, <laughs> I should know him better from the time you were on my show. Not to do that, but I crap. But anyway, that's fine. Right. Where were we? Script? <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Listen, like I told you before, we hopped on Mike. We were giving each other a hard time. You've got way more bragging rights in the last quarter of century. So I'm going to keep my mouth shut and uh, hope for the best this year. But uh, no, man, I, I I totally agree with that. I think putting people in a box and and trying to make them conform to some some script and things. It's like. It, maybe how you start in the beginning, it's just to kind of give you some sort of an idea of what to do. But great people will be great. You, you, you kind of have to get out of their way a little bit. And I learned that in my company when I was hiring folks. When I tried to like sit on them and make them do things my way, all I did was hold back the great people. And the people who weren't great were going to end up being flushed out at some point anyway because they're not great, right? You just you want to hire great people, let them be great. I know you can't see this in your own mirror, but you are a rare leader who gets out of the way of his or her own ego. And you're able to hire people that could be exceptional. They're scary as hell because they're going to do things a little bit differently at some points. Yep. You're not going to be able to quote control them, but you don't want to because I learned the same thing you did. All you'll have left, you won't have a heart and a mind or people that will question or do. You'll have just people who will follow what you say. You'll get tired like the head buffalo in a herd. You'll, you'll stop showing them where the water and food is. And all you have is overhead. They're non-performing overhead. You got to put yourself in a place as a leader that you're, you're vulnerable, creating an environment for opportunity and yeah. growth. And I'll tell you what, man, it is it's not about controlling. It's about inspiring, cultivating, and work, working together as a team. That is the hard part. Here, here's what happens, I think, when people build companies. <clears throat> you start off as a solopreneur, which most of us do. Most of us don't start off with you know, an office building and a staff. and all, right? We start off on our own. And we build this thing with our own two hands. And we build it up to a point that we can't do anymore. And we have a hard time letting go and trusting because it, it's our baby. We did it. We built it. And we built it this way. But I think the next level, when you scale up or level jump or whatever, it's about letting go. It, it is. Yeah. It's just about hiring great people and literally staying standing back and, and letting them do what you hired them to do. And if they don't, then sometimes you have to make adjustments and things. But absolutely, man, because I'll tell you what, most of us are really good at some parts of the business that we create, yes. but we are bad at some parts. We just are. And we did them out of necessity, but we kind of suck at them. And so when you bring people in, like let them do what they're great at, because even the thing you're great at, there's probably somebody out there who's as good or maybe even better. And and when you find that person, that's the scariest thing, right? If your superpower is sales and at some point you grow to the point where you need to bring in other sales folks, it's sort of weird when you see them come in and you're like, holy crap, I, they might be better than me. It's It should be exciting, but some people get intimidated by that, like you said. A hundred percent. You know what? I have a my own circle of competence. We all do. But inside that circle, there's a little dot and that's my real competence. Yeah. So I have to hire, address 
all of my deficiencies, of which they're myriad. So it does cost me money to address my weaknesses, but I know where, where my competence is when I step outside. You know what? That's all ego. And that's, that, that to me is losing. Yeah, a thousand percent, man, a thousand percent. Um, let's talk a little bit about what you, you do, what you, what your company does and where you've kind of found your niche and what, you know, what makes you feel, feel great about what you're doing now. The regional insurance brokerage firm is the Woodage Group, and it's it's the holding company for a couple of companies that really transact insurance-related business. Not life insurance, but property and casualty, okay. workers' compensation, general liability for larger corporations, mostly in the construction industry. So we do some pretty tough, rough stuff. And, and that platform enabled me to do and really follow one of my other passions, which is speaking. Mm. Now, I love to to speak. And I love to be in front of groups. And, and I just got kind of pulled into it by a lot of companies uh, who were doing national meetings and said, you know, you would be great at, you would do a great job of customer service. Could you speak to our group? Because yeah, you guys yeah. do it so well. You're a living testament. Or would you do a keynote for my sales and try to bring sales and service together? Yeah. And so it just kind of originated like that. And then, you know, in my in my heart, and I think that you're, you're again, I don't want to speak for you, but in my heart, I always wanted to write a book that I thought would have meaning, not just to write a book, but to really write a book that was me that I could pour my essence into. Yeah. And I sat down and started to craft my first book, which was Always Forward, uh, really a sales-oriented book that there were seven steps to be. Take these steps and move through the, this formula yep. and yep. then combine your own magic to it and just change it the way you'd like. You'll probably be able to meet quota or probably beat it. And, and so that started, you know, my, my process of, uh, of writing and speaking and it just, the speaking business evolved, wrote mm -hmm. my second book, um, fail more, and it just evolved from there. So I, I don't spend as much time on the corporate insurance side because I have great people who do really good things here. Yep. And so I'm able to focus on, on having high end conversations with people like you. Nice. And I think it's really great when folks like you, you start something, you build something, you've got a great business and you find what really makes you want to get up in the morning, which is speaking and, and kind of writing the books and, and helping people. With your book, the first one you wrote, you said you pour your essence into it. Um, the seven, seven Secrets of Sales Success. Can you give us a couple of them? Like give us some high, some, some high notes on that. Like where, what do people need to know from a sales point of view? What are some of those, those things that you teach in the book that, that really help people? Great question. I'm going to run through it real quick. Okay. The first, the first thing, when people talk about mindset, you have to ask the question. It's incumbent upon you to define what mindset is. So mindset is nothing. It's just a fantasy. It's a philosophy. It's a thought without the work. You got to do the work. You got to know yeah. what the work is and you have to know what result you're aiming for and how to adjust. Secret number one is what I found at Liberty Mutual. Activity rules success. If you don't have a lot of activity in sales, you have nothing. That's all about building a pipeline. And I mean, always under construction with that pipeline. Number two is you have to be able to think and do. When you have a thought, Mike, you got to be able to cash that thought with an action and you have to do it quickly. You have yeah. to move because other people are taking that opportunity. They're having those thoughts. So many people are stymied and paralyzed by the anxiety of doing something wrong. Just move. Yeah. Number three is time. You only have so much time. It's finite. It's a resource you have to be able to use because it's a finite resource. Don't waste your time. Make sure when you're engaged in making calls, you're on the clock, you're doing what you're supposed to do, yeah. not hanging at the watering hole talking about Pittsburgh versus Dallas. And number four is you got to find a way to make a way. That's personal accountability. If someone doesn't give you the keys to the castle, and you, as you said earlier, they rarely don't, you got to find your make a way, man. And that's the key to being creative and finding and pushing your way through. And then there's the law of 33 and a third percent. Hey, now everybody's going to like you. 33 and a third percent are not going to buy Mike Simmons or Bill Woodage. They just don't like the way we look. Don't like your helmet. Don't like the hair. Just don't like you. 
not going to be there, but you got two thirds to move on. There's going to be those people then that will buy the product that will listen to you. You got to win that middle third. And and then from there, it is walk away power. You got to be able to walk away from a bad position. So when you negotiate, don't negotiate, negotiate away your self-respect. And the last one, I think is one of the most important ones we haven't been able to do now. You can't do good business sitting on your ass. You got to get out, man. You got to meet with people. You got to shake hands. You got to have that. All seven parts connect. Show me that cup again. What does that cup say? It says you can't do good business sitting on your ass. That's the acronym. (laughs) And let me me tell you real quick, just real quick one for one minute where I learned it. That's good. My, My uncle Joe was a tremendous salesperson. He was always on the go, always in his car, moving. So he came into, uh, my grandmother's house and he dipped into the a ladle into meatballs, right? And he was on his way out, just tie on. This is a little tie clip. And I had the acronym YCDGBSOYA. I'm like, Uncle Joe, Uncle Joe, what does that mean? Billy, you can't do good business sitting on your ass. Got in the car and took off. The salespeople here know that. It ain't no email proposal. It ain't no Zoom. When it's, you know, I mean, now we're locked down. We have to. We got to go out there and meet our people. And that separates us from everybody else. I love it. And you mentioned earlier about how you're doing a lot of speaking and you're writing books and talking to people. Mm-hmm. You are really good. Like I said, I, 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 like, no joke, I've watched a lot of your stuff. I've been very engaged in the last few weeks specifically because I know you're coming on and I wanted to see what you were about. You're really good. You do have a great message and you deliver it well. And I think, you know, for me, I'm not like a natural born salesperson. That's not my, that's not my superpower, but I recognize that it's some, it's something that I need to get as good as I can possibly be because everything is sales. Everything is sales. You want to convince your wife that you guys need to buy a new car. It's sales, right? It's all sales. Everything is selling yourself. And so that part of sales, of selling yourself, being able to articulate the idea that you have so that other people get excited about it. It's everything. It's, it's everything you want to, you want your kids to to do to behave in a certain way, yeah. To some, on some level, sales you have to show them why they want to do that, and you're, you're always selling yourself, your idea, your business. You want investors in your business, and you don't think sales is important. It's sales. You're selling your business. You're selling you, your idea, your your widget, whatever it is. Like it's you. So I, I think that sales message is so universal and so underappreciated in the world. Like kids should be taught sales in high school, in my opinion, because yeah, yeah. it all is about influence and influencing people in a positive, you know, the positive connotation, not like manipulation, although there's some level to that too, in a positive way, but it's all sales, man. And I, and I think you really nail it with your talks and I I just really love listening to them. I think they're really effective. Well, since since we're in the mutual uh, appreciation uh, scheme, I I have a, a medium bar for guests on the show, but you blew that bar away. Uh-huh. You made uh, you made something I read about in my book. You, you made today's hurdle to greatness tomorrow's bar of expectation. So now I'm expecting other people to be that great because you made it so easy for me because it was just you were rolling with great concepts and ideas, and I was filling a pad full of full of notes. So thank I don't you. think it was sales with you. I think that's the real Mike Simmons, and you were great. Yeah. So thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. It's very nice of you to say, and it's not sales because I'm not a great salesperson. So if it isn't authentic and if I'm not passionate about it, you won't believe me. So, um, so thank you for that. Yeah. You mentioned your other book, Fail More, and uh, I, I made some notes here uh, about it. And we don't have to go through it point by point, but I love some of the stuff that I that I found. Uh, create large and small goals. Number one, mm-hmm. I love that. Because here's, and I don't know, and you can tell me your 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 the way that you explain this in the book. 
But what I really hate, I think either or in, in and of itself is, is not the only thing. So in other words, I want to make a billion dollars, right? Big goal. Like what? Like what? What? How are you going to do that? Like what are your what are your points here? And then another goal, like hey, tomorrow I'm going to run a mile. Like those are mm-hmm. both great, but mm-hmm. but if you, that's the only way you make goals, are like I'm going to make a billion dollars or I'm going to run a mile tomorrow. Like you're going right. to struggle. So talk to me about large and small goals. It's good to have. I mean, it's great to have huge aspirations, but you have to have mini goals in between there. So yeah. you is a reward system with the dopamine in, in, in your brain that's going to feed off of that reward of actually saying and then doing. So it's going to challenge you to do it. It's going to feed, but then when you do it, man, that release is going to be like, okay, now I want more. Yeah. So you got to have sub goals because the biggest well, to me, Mike, you can have the most audacious goals that if you don't have sub goals that you meet that are realistic, and if you don't take accountability finding or making a way to make those goals achievable, realistic, time sensitive, you have fantasy and that's going to disappoint you. It's going to send you back and you're going to, you're going to get off the line and you have to be on the line engaged every day with those goals. Yeah. I love that. And I also think to just to completely underscore what you just said in, in a different way, I think when you have these large audacious goals, these fantasies without sub goals and you don't hit them, you get used to failure and you become desensitized to not hitting goals. And so pretty soon, it doesn't even feel like anything if you miss a goal. So I think those small realistic goals, 100% right. The dopamine, you 1,000% right. I love it. Let, let, me, let me toss something in that might be a Bill Woodage thing, but I never looked at the money. And this is what I mean. So what, my thing was I looked at the leaderboard at Liberty Mutual and I said, I want to be number one. I am going to be number one. Uh, it, was, it was a conviction. And behind that conviction, there was this, this fire of purpose, right? And that's how I grew my identity by taking those numbers one at a time, but I never looked at the wallet. I looked at the heart, I looked at the mind first, and then the wallet came after that. So I never kept score on saying, I want to make a million, I want to make 10 million. I said, I want a lifestyle. I want to live in California. I want to look at an ocean and I want to drive these cars and I want to be able to never look at a grocery bill again. I never wanted to do that again. Those are my little sub goals. And then I just started raising the bar from there. And and now it's, you know, it's a lot different goals and aspirations that we had when it was material. So, and I think that the difference between motivation and inspiration is this motivation will go away after a while. You can keep raising that bar, but at the end of the day, you're not going to find happiness in there. Uh, You know, you're creating conditions for it, for it to be conducive. But for me, it's all about inspiration, man. I, I love getting in front of people. I love doing, do I would do that for free? And, and, and you know, I it just, I, I love doing it. Yeah. So there's a little difference there. I just wanted to throw that in. Never really looked at the money, just made it fun. I love it. I think money, money and material goals are a little bit like sugar. They give you a little bit of a high, they give you energy for a while and then you crash yeah. and they don't mean anything yeah. anymore, right? It's like, that can't be the motivation. There has to be something bigger behind it. You also talk about analyzing data and I'm big on this. And I'll tell you, I'm not like, a guy who enjoys like managing spreadsheets. Like it's like, that's death to me. But I realize, and what I learned and something I'm passionate and preach all the time, you have to know your numbers. You have to use data at least to make, you know, to help you with your decisions. Everything can't just be gut feelings, right? You have to use some sort of data. And I love that you say analyze data to determine what worked and what didn't. Too few people think they can just run their business off of gut feeling and flying by the seat of their pants and they fail more often than not. You won't make it. You won't scale. You have to have a dashboard. Your yep. dashboard has to be accurate. There has to be integrity in the numbers. And you need to analyze what went wrong. What could we have done different? It's almost like a postmortem where you're you're dragging that body in the room and you're getting the best people around to say, what could we have done different? What did I do? Because you got blind spots. You're not going to see every one of those mistakes you made. Yeah. But then you start molding from there. And that is how you learn from failure. That's why it's so important. Or otherwise, like you said, you're going to just keep crashing into a wall. Yep. 
You're never going to learn from it. And you don't have the data that supports your new approach. You need the data. Love it. I I always equate data to being like flying an airplane. You know, Mm -hmm. I've known people who can start their business and they know that money's coming in. They know money's coming in. They know money's going out and they don't know how much. So like you can get a plane off the ground without the instrument panel. You can do it. But once you're up in the air, you don't know if you're gaining altitude, losing (laughs) altitude, if there's a mountain coming without using the dashboard, like you said. And so... People like will get their their plane, their business off the ground, and they they're not tracking anything. So they ultimately don't know if they're dying, if they're growing, and and what's happening. I, I did that. I know. I'm I'm speaking from experience. I'm not pointing fingers at people. I did this. I got my plane off the ground. I knew money was coming and going out, but I wasn't tracking it in the early days. And so my accountant would ask me at the end of the year, like, "Hey, I need some basic information from you here," and I'm like. I don't know, like I money's coming in every month and going out. I think I'm doing well. And it's like, it was really uh, a wake up call for me when I realized, and I wasn't, I wasn't as successful as I thought there was more money going out than I thought there was, you know? So these, these, this data, this instrument panel, like you talked about this dashboard, so important. I think most businesses fail because they don't know their numbers, not because they aren't good at what they do. They just don't know their numbers. So they don't know where to turn the dial up because this thing is working. So let's do more of that. And what's not working, let's turn that down or turn it off because it doesn't work. No, you know, if you don't know that, you're you're doomed to failure. You know what? Your your metaphor is one that I used uh, with my COO and, and talking about the CFO and the controller. You need to have integrity in your numbers. And we have to have a dashboard like a plane. It's, mm-hmm. Or we don't know where we're going. <laughs> we're gonna run out of fuel. We're not gonna know how much fuel it, it, it's crucial that you know it always reminds you of this patrick ewing was the head of the nba right in the uh in one of their strikes and so he was the head of the union for the for the players and they said but he said why would you need that money he said yeah we make a lot of money but we spend a lot too so that was his economic wherewithal Uh, you know you've got to know where your numbers are yeah and that how do you know where you're going so yeah absolutely i I know that get there yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I know that one of your philosophies is about uh, first giving value before you you ask for something. And man, if there's one mistake that that new business owners make is they a lot of times lead with what they want out of a situation. You know, what can you do for me? And they don't think about the other person. And I know for a guy like you who's had a ton of success and, and you have the opportunity to speak to a lot of people, I'm sure you got you have a lot of people reaching out to you and wanting whatever, like. I know I do. When people start the conversation, the DM, the email with, I, can you do this for me? Whatever it is. Honestly, I feel bad, but I usually delete it or I ignore it. I, I can't, I can't deal with someone who comes at me with everything they want before they even bother to say hello. You know, it, it, I appreciate what you do or I don't know, just make an effort to sound like you're not coming in and just taking, putting your hands in my, in my business. So talk to me about that, the, the idea of first giving value to someone. Let's start with the D word, which is ultimately important in anything in life. And that's called differentiation. To differentiate yourself from the masses, you've got to think in terms of value and the arbiter, the most important thing I'm going to say about this, the arbiter of value is your client. Is the it's the end user. It's not you. Yeah. You may think you're delivering unless they say, and they're the ones that define value. So for me, it was always to do something and, and do it without the expectation of a return monetarily and say, let me take a look at this for you. I'll, I'll do it for you. And if it's, if it's, you find no value in it, you know, I'll walk away. Yeah. If you find some value, maybe we'll talk, but I'm going to do it because I want to prove myself to you at some point. Yeah. So I was always giving away that value 
but the value that they received and perceived, it meant something to them because it was different. So it had a differentiation because people were doing what you what you say, Mike. They were coming and asking for something. Give me this and then I'll give you that. It doesn't yeah, work that yeah, way. Yeah. This is a servant mentality and the customer is king. And it's always been that way. We just kind of forgot about that royal throne. And it is the client that's king, not us. Yeah. So I always work to build value. 100%. And I, you know, listen, most of us have some something to offer people. We have some skill or something that differentiates us. Um, it could just be time because busy people, successful people, they value time, especially as the older you get, you value time. So if let, you can let me, save Now, let me jump in on two things about time. This is the thing about people who come into sales. They, they, if you're working on your call time and you're working on your next calls during call time, you got to do that the night before or way, way early in the morning of. Yeah. So so what I would do is, is a little bit more of a process, but I would get on the phone, I'd make those cold calls like crazy. And I would say, all, I, all I'm asking for, so here's the ask, is to be able to send you something. If you find it of value, I'll send you more. I'll check in, see if you found it. If you don't, I'll never call you again. So what I'm saying is I did my research. I found out what some key points were, where they went to school, what's some information for the company. How can I craft something that's going to be different yeah. and give yeah. them some value and then give them the ultimate choice, Mike? Hey, you don't want me to call you anymore. I'm off the list. I won't bug you anymore. Yep. It just started to work that way. Totally. Totally. So just out of, this is sort of a random question, but does your company, do they do cold calling? And is it is it cold calling on, on like large businesses or is it like individuals? It's cold calling on large, large businesses. Okay. And you, the rite of passage to break into the next level is cold calling. Yeah. And yeah. you have to cold call. You, we can call it warm. Uh, we, can, we can do research and send letters and do all kinds yeah. of great things. At the end of the day, you got to pick up a phone. Yeah. So yeah. that is what we do. At a certain level, when they when they hit a certain seven-figure threshold, kind of stop, and it's more of a network. It's more networking, other people yeah. making calls. But, man, the, the, the rite of passage, the universe is going to expect one thing from us. you got to do that work. Can we get punched? Can you handle rejection? It hurts. It stings. And then after about 100, 200 times a day, it doesn't hurt so much. So when, from a general standpoint, because my, my listeners definitely do cold calling. It's different. It's typically not corporate. It's, it's individual. But w what is the hallmark or what are some of the traits of good cold callers or, or, or a good strategy when it comes to cold calling? Rhythm, um, stand, get rhythm and find humor and come out with and state the obvious. You know what? One of the best, best ones I've heard it wasn't me. One of the best ones I've heard, uh, it was a, uh, the guy said, if you give me 45 seconds, this is a sales call. One. He said, if you want to hang up, your choice, hang up now. If you keep listening, and people would, some would still listen. Yeah. He said, yeah. in 45 seconds, you can hang up if I don't share some value about what I do and why I'm different. One, two, three. It's almost like the caveman mentality. Yeah. Tell me what it is that's in it for me. You're telling your client, your prospective client, yep. why you're different than everybody else is trying to do it and how that and what your next step is. If that's how you do it. Give them the choice. If you go on and say, hey, this is Joe Smith from the, you know, Failmore company. Bullshit. I, you know, I used to say, Mike, hey, I know you get a hundred of these calls a week. And the guy started laughing. She started laughing. I said, but you know what? I, I, and if I was you, I'd probably hang up too. But if you don't, listen, and then all of a sudden it would just, you know, or sometimes they would hang up. Yeah. But you got to give them that. And that was some of the best calling calling technique because there's no magic to it. There's humor. Yeah. There's a game. And they can hear it in your voice. Yeah. If you're desperate and you need that one call, man, they're they're gone. Yeah. You got to have fun with it. Yeah. So if you had the opportunity to 
represent, work for, and there was a boatload of money on the on the table for you to help this company out. They needed you to come in and talk to their folks. Mm-hmm. And they were called the Dallas Cowboys. Would you do it? That's my question, <laughs> Bill. Would you help my team? Well, the smart ass in me would say, how much is the money? Uh, but, but, <laughs> this is Jerry but, Jones, but, man. But, but I wouldn't sell my soul for it. So probably not. <laughs> you got to keep, you know what? But it is an important metaphor and it's a good, it's important transition. You got to keep your soul. Yeah. yeah. It, people will smell fear, desperation, greed. And to do that for the logo, for, for what it represents, of course I would. But you don't want to sell your soul for something that you don't believe yep. in because pe- people sense that, they feel that. And it's a transaction. It's not It's not a customer or a client. So yeah. it's a lot different feeling. Dude, dude, first of all, this is why, if people don't understand what just happened, this is why Bill is such a great communicator and such a powerful speaker because he took a completely nonsense, lame brain scenario I gave him that I was just messing with him and he turned it into a lesson. And it's true, man. You can't, you can't represent something you don't believe in. You can't sell your soul. You shouldn't BS people about what's what you believe is good and what's not. You have to believe what you're saying because people are not dumb. They smell a liar. They will tell, they will be able to tell if you're full of it. Right. So uh, thank you for taking a complete lame brain concept that I just yeah. wanted to take a poke at you and actually turning it into a lesson that was valuable. You, you laid it up for me, man. That was great. I thought you were just doing layup. This is awesome. I wasn't even thinking that far awesome. ahead. I just wanted to make you laugh. So yeah, that was great. No, man, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, listen, I want to talk about the book too. I, we mentioned it already, but fail forward guys, go and get these like and fail more. And I'm sorry, always forward. I'm sorry, not fail forward. Always forward and fail more. I combined them. Um, go and grab these books because here's the deal. These are not books that he wrote like, hey, I need a book so that I can get like, no, man, he wrote these books because he knows what he's talking about and he believes in the concepts mm-hmm. and they're powerful. And like I said, I, I've been mini stalking him over the last few weeks and yeah. uh, just because I wanted to hear more about what he was about and what he talked about. And is it like, does it feel authentic? And is it something I really vibe with? Because I love being on your show. And that was part of it. I, I liked being on your show. I enjoy talking to you. So I'm like, I want to get into this guy's world a little more and figure out what he's about. And by the way, you're your Instagram is great. It's not just like all like business and sales. It's personal stuff too. So it's kind of fun to watch what you're up to on a oh, personal level. No. Oh, oh, no, you didn't go there. Yo, yeah. my, my social media coordinator is sitting in this studio and now her head is so big, she's not going to be able to get out of here. <laughs> so that, that, She does a great thanks, job. Mike. I get I to really, see. I really, you know what, Mike? Thank you. Yeah, I get to see behind <laughs> the scenes at some of the, the more uh, interesting, fun, personal <laughs> stuff you're doing. But man, I, I, seriously, I, I, I like these conversations because I feel like I'm just sitting, you know, I'm sitting down and we're just kind of having drinks and chatting. It's fun. Um, tell where can people find you if they want to get into your world even more for sure. So for sure, social media. You guys got to go check that out sure. because the yeah. person he has is amazing and brilliant that helps him with that. But uh, uh, how can people get into uh, your world? At Bill Woodich, W-O-O-D-I-T-C-H or BillWoodich.com. You can see a lot of different things there. Buy books from Amazon. When you could walk in stores, they were they were there, but really Barnes and Noble. Um, the other thing I want to say about the books that's important to me is I wrote those books. Uh, I wrote them with the idea that at first they were egotistical. They were about me. I got slapped on the hand by both editors and I made it about you. So I made yeah. this about people. How could they learn something? Not just me trying to shine something out, yeah. but what could they take and learn and do something right now? And I made them about this thick, not very thick. So they're not like going to, you know, make you pass out from, but it's me, it's condensed. And I think yeah. that you'll learn a lot in those books. 
Um, also, I have a, a podcast that Mike was a star on called The Unstoppables. And you should check out he, he and I on there. Uh, he he really kicked ass. He raised my bar. So you made me you made me better for the experience. So thank you. <laughs> well, thank you for saying that. And that was the next thing I was going to say. Go to the Unstoppables. And here's what I want. Here's what I ask of you guys. If you enjoyed the conversation, if you believe Bill is the real deal, he knows what he's talking about and he's helped you. Here's my here is my plea to you. Go to his podcast, The Unstoppables. Subscribe. Listen to some listen to some episodes and give them a rating and review because I think once you do, you'll give them a five star rating and I know that the review will be great. In addition to that, when you go and check out his books and get them from Amazon, take the time to review them and give him a rating in there. I'm telling you guys, listen, uh, I'm sure Bill would love it if you just send him a million dollars. That's always helpful. But the best way you can help people like Bill and, and even like me for that matter is give them some feedback on what they're doing. It helps us so, so much. He just wants to be found because he has a message he's passionate about. And you, the best thing you can do for us, currency for podcasters and authors is ratings and reviews. So go do that. Jillian, did you tape that? Because, okay, good. So I can say that next time on my, on my show. Because <laughs> that was brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're very welcome, man. I, I just enjoy talking to you. I'll be I'll be a, an avid follower of yours on social media. Um, and, and just, I, I don't know what the, is it a, a young lady that's helping you with social media? Is that what you said? Is it Okay. I'll, I'll be giving her credit too. She's great. She's doing a she great job. The credit. <laughs> you, you know, you know, like we talked about addressing our deficiencies and I have many. All right. Yeah. And I've really great people that I let them play whatever she posts. I don't even know what it is. She goes, give me this, give me that. She'll post it. And I'm like, except for the personal ones, you know, it's just, yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. But she'll, she'll post them. She has a theme and a message to it. So nice. Yeah. Well, she's doing great. It's fun to, it's fun to follow you. So that's always a good thing too, right? It's entertaining. Hey, Mike, it's she, important. She's from Buffalo, man. She's a Bills fan. So we you know, we'll hold that against you either. <laughs> Tell her I'm sorry twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if she's old enough to remember those Super Bowls. I'm not looking at her, but uh, yeah, the Cowboys had their way with the Buffalo Bills a few I times. Yeah, I don't know if she's old enough, but she's probably seen them uh, replayed somewhere in her yeah. household. <laughs> yeah, all right. So now I have two mortal enemies on the other end. Great. I did compliment her though, so that's something. Yes, there's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, listen, awesome. thank you for doing this. This was fun. I love it. We definitely have to do more of this in the future. Uh, hop on for sure on my show. You're welcome back anytime. I'd love to chat with you about what you have going on in the future as well. You know what? I, I, I'm thinking we, we need to do one on confidence and competence at some point, and we, we'd roll. Love it. Uh, you, you and I, we just kick it out there. Thank you very much. It was fun and it, it was engaging and you gave me some great ideas i really appreciate you thank you yeah same here man thanks a lot and uh we'll definitely be in touch so uh we'll talk to you next time thank you all right all right guys that was a lot of fun i enjoyed talking to bill he's a great guy smart guy great salesperson and uh has a great message and listen he's a he's a steelers fan everyone's entitled to make a mistake or to not really have a, a a good idea once in a while so i let it slide i'm still his buddy no i'm just kidding uh bill's a fun guy i love giving him a hard time it's really good to uh, connect with somebody that you think a lot of like so i hope you guys enjoyed that we had a lot of fun and hopefully that equated into uh, a conversation that was not just entertaining but uh, full of value. And I think it was. Bill brings the value for sure. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Get out there and make it happen. Guys, if there was one thing that I, I know that he said in this episode, other than all the great sales and, and leading with value and all the other great messages, is you got to get out there and go for it. You can't do good work sitting on your butt so to speak, right? It's what he said. He has a cup that even says it. So I love it. Get out there and do good work. You can't do it sitting on your butt. So get off your butt. Go, go make it happen. We'll talk to you next time.